Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. These people that were living in these little communities, you know, before before co-ops were around, they had to move, you know, maybe get electricity or get to the house. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian Meets World, we're back. It's Will and Neil. What's going on, man? How was your Labor Day? Man, it was good. It was a great day of uh, relaxation spent with the family, which doesn't happen a whole lot this time of year for me. How about yeah. you? Uh, it was good. One one thing I did on the actual day of Labor Day, I went to the county fair. Oh, okay. Much similar to state fairs, but you know, at this at the county fair, they had all the all the animals out for show exhibits. You could walk through the rides, etc. But one thing they had, you know, they had all these, you know, obviously you can put your animals out for show and win prizes, but they also had like food out for show. And one thing even beyond food that they had for show was, hey, how do you judge hay? Interesting. I don't like roll just, versus bell versus. No, they were just square squares of hay and like first place, second place, third place. I thought it was so weird. Like, how do you judge hay? I didn't get it. I have no idea. As a man from the country, I don't know <laughs> the difference in hay. I'll just be honest. Maybe we can get somebody on our show sometime that can tell us the difference in hay and how you make it differently, maybe. I, I couldn't tell the difference one from the other, but that all looked the same to me. Uh, one more thing. One more thing on the county fair. What was the kids' favorite thing to do? Did they go after the ride? Was there a food they were interested in? What What, what was their favorite no, it kind of surprised me when we went. They actually wanted to walk around and see the animals. They wanted to see the exhibits first. But then, of course, it was all about the rides. They had some corn dogs, rode some rides. Good. I'm glad you I'm glad you got the county fair corn dog. Yeah, That's yeah. a big step. The Burning Man Festival. Did you see that? I did not. All the people getting tell- trapped at the Burning Man Ooh, Festival. Sounds really serious. You better tell me about it. <laughs> Burning Man Festival is out in this desert three-day, four-day festival, music festival. It's kind of weird in and of itself, but they get out there and then they experience more rain in one day than that, than they've had in forever. Everyone that drove out there in RVs or were camping gets trapped because of the mud that is produced. The mud kind of turned into like cement and no one could get out. Oh my gosh. Seriously? Where, where is this at? Somewhere out in Nevada. Okay. I thought you might, 
have heard about it. It was like all over the news. You know, on Labor Day weekend, the only news that I'm watching is all about football. Yeah, speaking of football, we uh, started the Appalachian FBS this past week, and guess who did not make a pick? The guy that's busy failed to pick because I thought we weren't starting until this week. But then when I actually thought about it, I thought to myself, this would be a good opportunity for Will to get back in the game. So I was giving you a chance, basically. I agree. I'm definitely ahead. But I'm not the only one that's ahead. I am tied for first place with John K. Me and John K are in first place. So shout out to John K. Yeah, John K. Don't know who you are, but bring it on, brother. Did you see primetime? I did. I watched the end of the game. How incredible was that? Say what you want about prime, but I guess he knew knows what he's talking about sometimes. <laughs> as arrogant as he is, he has to win or people will, will be all over him. You got to respect the fact, though, that he comes out in game one at a uh, major school and pulls off probably the biggest upset in uh, Colorado Buffalo history. Definitely. Mad respect from me. Speaking of icons, and we did mention music, I guess you saw Jimmy Buffett passed. Yeah, it was a sad day for me. You know, my love for Kenny over the years, I've become a Buffett lover as well. Even though he's not Appalachian, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Jimmy Buffett. I think he brings people together. Do you know anyone that doesn't like Jimmy Buffett? No, never heard anybody say that they disliked Buffett. I get people all the time that can't understand my love for Kenny, but with Buffett, I mean, it's universal, man. I expect they have to keep the parrot head universe alive. Who, who do you think? I know who you're going to say. Who do you think will I be mean, of course. fit to keep it alive? Is this a real question? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Dave Matthews could do it. Come on, man. You know, the pirate flag's waving with a parrot flag right next to it for life now. <laughs> What's your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? Man, that's a good question. What's your favorite? I think mine is a pirate look at 40. Obviously, he's got some legendary tunes. Margaritaville, Come Monday, Pencil Thin Mustache, Son of a Son of a Sailor, Cheeseburger in Paradise, Spins, all the above. But uh, I don't know. A pirate look at 40 might be my favorite. They're all favorites. Yeah, they're all great. That's why it's hard for me to choose one. I mean, Come Mondays, if you made me pick one right now off the top of my head. All the above. We'll ask our guests. Since we're talking about kind of world news you got any app news for us today yeah i got a little bit of app news several events going on in september that i wanted to mention healing appalachia that we mentioned in the past is taking place september 21st to 23rd the west virginia state fairgrounds in lewisburg west virginia got the headliner obviously every year's tyler childers but also this year there's jason isbel there's government mule Humphreys mcgee Charles Wesley Godlin's playing. Our boy Tim Gooden is playing at the festival. Yeah, John R. Miller, Arlo McKinley. Tim Gooden's actually playing Saturday night right before Tyler at 735. So if you're there, check him out. The ARC Conference, Appalachia Rises, September 11th and 12th, which is just next week. They no longer have tickets available, but they are having a live stream on the 11th at 3 p.m. You can also catch a recorded version after the fact. Also, the ARC Appalachian Envision Roadshow. Registration opened yesterday for that. The stop number five, building community leaders and capacity. So check that out at their website. We'll post it in the show notes. HUD just came out with a 
notice of funding and NOFA for Hope 6 Main Street grant for communities under 50,000. You know, we talked about empty buildings being the number one problem last week in some downtowns, especially small rural areas. So those towns under 50,000 can get these grant funds to repurpose empty buildings into affordable housing. Also, we've had Appalachian Community Capital on the show before. They are coming out trying to create this Green Bank for Rural America. They want it to be a $1 billion fund for the development, transition, and growing of rural America. They're partnering with banks, CDFIs, credit unions, new market tax credits, opportunity zones, angel investors, public sector RLFs, and electric co-op. We'll post that in the show notes. Its focus is really on the 13 Appalachian states, coal and power plant communities, and other underserved rural areas. So I wanted to mention that because, like I said, they're also partnered with something that we refer to as the electric co-ops. Which is why we're having our guest on tonight to talk about the importance of electric co-op. How much do you know about electric co-ops, Neil? Well, I mean, Will, what do I know about electricity is a better question. And I know that it keeps the keeps the world turning. Uh, we use it every single day without even thinking. And in my house, we use it every single day, even when no one's around, because my kids refuse to turn the electricity off. As far as co-ops go, not a lot. That's why I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as too. Just a little bit of history, you know. The story goes that President Roosevelt was vacationing in Georgia. He had a had a home in Hot Springs, Georgia. He was vacationing, and he was surprised to find out that electricity in that rural area cost way more than it did in the cities. And it's something that he thought about and pushed legislation that created the Rural Electrification Administration or the Rural Electrification Act that created the administration. And as a result of that, Jackson County Rural Electric Co-op was created in 1938. I guess it's from that co-op tonight. And just a little bit about co-ops, you know, they go beyond just providing electricity. They really provide electricity, but also drive economic development in these small communities. There's so many examples of other stuff that they're doing in the communities beyond providing power, providing electricity. They're so important for small towns, for small communities. Just a little bit about overall co-ops, they serve 42 million people. So in the beginning, it's just for rural areas, but now it's suburbs, rural areas, even some larger communities have co-op. They power over 21.5 million businesses, homes, schools, and farms in 48 states. And they actually returned more than $1.4 billion in capital credits to their members. The number of co-ops that exist today, 832 distribution co-ops and 63 generation and transmission co-ops. So those are all throughout the United States. Co-ops have been around a lot long time. And not only, like I said, do they provide power, but they provide a lot of benefit to the local communities. Yeah, for sure. Will, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you gave us all those figures as a, as I guess a member of the co-op that we're, we're going to discuss tonight. 
you know, it's not often that you pay a company money every month and, and you're actually glad about it. But in this case, Jackson Energy Co-op in uh, Jackson County, Kentucky, they're so active in our community and do so many great things for the citizens within their uh, our rural area that I'm very much appreciative of all the employees that are that are with Jackson Energy. And I'm glad we're getting an opportunity to speak to, to Brent Jackson tonight. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to hearing about some of the programs that he had. You want to just get him on here? Yeah, let's do it. Heading out to San Francisco for the Labor Day weekend show. I got my hush puppies on I guess I never was meant for glitter rock and roll And honey, I didn't know That I'd be missing you so Come Monday, it'll be alright On Monday, tonight's episode, we have a special guest, Mr. Brent Jackson. He is the Members Relations Coordinator at Jackson Energy Cooperative, which started in July of 1938 after the passage of the Rural Electrification Act. It's since grown to serve over 52,000 members with 5,700 miles of line covering seven counties in southeastern Kentucky. We want to thank you, Brent, for being on the episode. We definitely appreciate your time. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I've known uh, both of you guys for a long time and looking forward to a good conversation. As part of that conversation, we want to ask you something that we ask everyone. Like most Appalachians, are big on history, big on tradition. Neil and I, we're big on that. Our family is as well. We have appetizers at the holidays. We usually have this big spread of appetizers, bigger than the actual meal. So we want to ask you, what's your favorite appetizer, just holiday dish? Well, it doesn't have anything really to do with Appalachia, but my favorite appetizer is actually shrimp cocktail. Oh, hey, great, great choice. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, we have it here at the house a lot, and I, I mean, it's really my favorite. You like the heat in the, in the cocktail sauce? So, yes, and I'll tell you this, it's worth doing because I've done it and it's not hard to do. If, if you look up a, re- a recipe to make your own toy with it a little bit, it's amazing. Like, I didn't even know what really went into it, but I looked up a recipe and, and made my own. And if you hit it right, that's my that's my favorite. That that was going to be my question. Do you make your own cocktail sauce? Not, not all that- the time. To that point, can you tell us the secret? I mean, give us a little, <laughs> no. give us a little secret sauce here, Brent. You, you, you'll have to, you'll have to come over. I mean, you didn't tell me you were having shrimp cocktail. <laughs> I mean, that takes it to a whole different level. Yeah, yeah. We only get shrimp cocktail in our family around the holidays when when my uncle brings the shrimp cocktail. So that's always a staple of his, and uh, I always look forward to it. That's one of my favorites as well. So I appreciate that answer. Brent, we, we wanted to just dive right in tonight. You, you know, we talk, we've had some cooperatives on the program, on the show before. We had Keith Gabbard from PRTC not too long ago. But we talk about the importance of co-ops, especially for rural communities, especially when it comes to power, when it comes to electricity, to give them affordable power but I mentioned in the intro the term member. Can you just talk about, just for our listeners, what a co-op actually is, what members are, and the significance in that? Yeah, so you mentioned the date when this started, in 1938. 
So basically when that happened, that was going to be the only way to get this thing up and going. And, th- and this is all over different rural communities in the, in the United States because of the cost to start it. So the member actually owns part of Jackson Energy um, and all the co-ops that, that they're involved in from the utility side. And the reason they do is because they had to raise funds to initially start building out that infrastructure um, that you see today. Without the co-op principles and, and the members, really, you just wouldn't be able to get electricity into a lot of these areas because it's not profitable. The IOUs, which is investment-owned utilities, um, they're out to make a profit. And, and so you don't see them in rural communities because you can't make a profit at it. And those members, those residents in the community that are members of Jackson Energy, do they have voting rights? What, I guess, opportunities do you have as a member other than getting power from Jackson? Like Right. So they do. They have a voice. Uh, we have uh, board members and they ultimately really make all the decisions on everything. You can contact your local representative and talk to them about, you know, what Jackson Energy is doing, what direction you know, they're headed, uh, why, you know, questions, that's kind of what they're there for. And they're elected, you know, also. It's very interesting. I do know a local member of your board that I'm friends with, and he tells me that the most exciting time of his month is at the Jackson Energy board meetings. And I, I was, uh, I was encouraged to hear that, but I was also like, come on, man, you need to be doing some more exciting stuff. Yeah, well, uh, what, what exactly do y'all do at these board meetings? Yeah, I tell everybody this, and, and my wife even knows because she gets leftovers sometimes. We have a fantastic cook for those board meetings, too. Uh, and that's probably the biggest reason why he enjoys it so much. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to ask him about the, the cocktail sauce at the board yeah. meeting. <laughs> <laughs> why co-op? Why would somebody in the area want to choose to get energy from the co-op? How, how do you keep costs competitive while still maintaining excellent service? So that this is my favorite question that you've asked so far because people don't really understand how this works. And, and I've been with Jackson Energy for six years and I came in as somebody who had no idea really how it worked. The cost that you pay for electricity in the United States, Kentucky is at the very top of the cheapest place to buy electricity, which is why everybody's saying right now that we're going through a pretty big economic boom. Well, that's one of the big reasons. There are Bitcoin operations in Jackson County that you wouldn't believe. I don't know how many the number is now, but it's all because of our electricity rate. We maintain competitiveness just because we know how to pinch pennies because we have to because we're a nonprofit. So we don't spend willy nilly. I like that term, but we don't. <laughs> we, we, we tighten the belt and we know how. Did to you do save it. that just for us? I did. But that's the biggest reason why because we shouldn't exist. We, we co ops and power to rule America just really shouldn't exist. Exist, and it's thanks to the members banding together and then putting people in place that do a good job running the organizations. I, I did want to ask, you know, you, you mentioned um, I'll use, you know, kind of cater towards their shareholders, uh, obviously, which kind of makes Jackson Energy Cooperative different 
in that regard. You know, you don't have shareholders. You have these members, private residents that actually own part of the company. And that kind of gets to your mission that hasn't changed since 1939 to improve the quality of life for members in southeastern Kentucky. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Just beyond bringing power to the region, why Jackson Energy cooperatives and other cooperatives throughout the country, why they're important for their local communities. I'm going to hopefully bring up some stuff that that is really connected to Appalachia. One of the most important things, even before electricity, really was the coal industry for southeastern and eastern Kentucky um, and, you know, in the, in the whole Appalachian region. Immediately after that is, is power. And to give you some idea of the difference in an IOU and a cooperative, Jackson Energy funds every mile of line with a grand total of nine members. So every mile that we build out is funded by just nine members. Now in an IOU, more like 30 members. And that's because they don't have that many miles of line. And so one of the things I like to tell people, you pointed out in, in the in the beginning, you said uh, 5,700 miles of line. So that's about right. It's, it fluctuates 58, 57. That line will stretch from New York City all the way to L.A. and back. So that should put it into perspective of really what we've got to maintain and make sure that is that is on. So when you go to switch the light on, you know, the light comes on. These people that were living in these rural communities, you know, before before co-ops were around, they had to move, you know, maybe to get electricity or just do without. Wow, that that really puts things in perspective when you talk about it in that capacity, Brent. You're talking about a line stretching from New York mm-hmm. to Los Angeles and all the way back. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. It's a lot. I mean, I, I don't think people understand, and that line is not stretched if we were to stretch it straight out on a perfectly flat ground with no trees, you know where we live. Right. You've got cliffs and lakes and rivers and creeks and it snows and it rains. There's tornadoes. We get it all in Kentucky. It's tough, you know, co-ops help each other. So when people come up to help us out because we've got hit really hard, you know, a lot of the linemen, they're not used to having to wade creeks, you know, and or rivers really for that matter. So, yeah. I wanted to ask you about co-ops helping each other. You know, all co-ops throughout the country kind of base their work on these seven principles. One of those principles is cooperation among cooperatives. You all just, not not just became, but are our Touchstone Energy partner. Mm -hmm. And I think you were one of the first in the country to enter this national branding program. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and the significance of that and how you all work together as cooperatives? Yeah, it, it's very important because it is such a big lift, not just here, but where other cooperatives, you know, are at. And one of the things that I would say is put that into perspective. What what can happen is Adelia, I think I pronounced that correctly, just came through. We were ready to go and we, we sent crews to wherever they told us to send. And all that is communicated through, you know, these different organizations like the Touchstone and, and there's there's a bunch of them that kind of connect all the co-ops together really easily because um, you know communication especially back before all the technology we have now was a little bit more difficult but we don't have enough manpower if a tornado comes through here and, and tears up a bunch of stuff to get that power on immediately uh, so we we do have to have you know help and 
and that's why that's one of our seven principles is cooperating. Another one of those principles, just to touch on those a little bit, you know, you talked about the difference between IOUs and cooperatives, especially when it comes to bringing power to rural communities such as where you're located. But in regards to the concern for community, that's kind of, I think, the last principle in those seven principles. I think that's really what sets co-ops apart and not just your co-op, but national co-ops. You really focus on the community and how you can, you know, help the community. You have a number of initiatives that do that. I know you have scholarships for linemen school uh, that you give out. I know you have college scholarship for kids of the area. You have a Washington trip or you you have a free week trip for kids in the area. But one of those programs that I want to talk about tonight is Operation Roundup. Can you talk about the, that a little bit? I know it kind of gets towards economic and community development in those seven counties that you service. But just what is it and how can members find out a little bit more about it? So basically, it works like a lot of the other programs that you'll run into when you go to, you know, buy drive through at McDonald's, for instance, they'll ask you that same question, would you like to round up? And that's essentially what it is. Members have an option to round their bill up to the next nearest dollar. So one benefit to them immediately is you can eliminate change. So it's easy to track. And then that money is directly put into a bank account where we give out every quarter that amount of money to organizations that apply for the grants. And it is a lot of community organizations that don't have capital, but they really have a great mission. And so the more money that people or members donate, the more money that we're able to give out. And in today's times, everybody's worried about, well, such as an organization that is a charitable thing, but how much of that money is actually reaching the individuals? Well, it's 100% in Operation Roundup. Nobody's getting paid a salary. None of that money is used for anything else and to pour right back into the community. And you can see it too through different organizations that are able to do things that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Fire departments are a really good example. They, they don't have the money to do what they need to do to save your life when the time comes. And so they can apply for an Operation Roundup grant and, and get it. So you're doing more than just providing power. You're, you're really driving economic development in those seven service areas. Just how can someone apply for something like that? I know members round, will, will round up. They can choose to round up or not. But if there is a nonprofit out there in that service area, how do they find out about the program and how can they apply? So the easiest way to apply is, is online. We've got a member center tab on our website. Uh, which is, you know, Jackson Energy, you can type that in a search engine and it'll pop right up. And you go to that member center and uh, scroll down to uh, Operation Roundup. And then there's a big blue Operation Roundup link. And when you click on that link, it pulls the application up and you fill it out and it comes directly to me. And then I get it in um, line for the next quarter meeting to uh, discuss who needs to get and how much they need to get. And you have to be a nonprofit? You don't have to be necessarily. They're pretty flexible with that. They're not obviously, you know, going to give to organizations that they know have a pretty good base of financing. They like kids because our kids are, they don't have enough really when it comes to, when you look at the overall pool of kids and what they need just to go to school and, you know, be safe and all that stuff. A lot of kids organizations are what we give to. I know energy efficiency is important for 
co-ops for all electric companies, really, but especially in, in a lot of the work that you guys do. You want to talk about that a little bit? I know you've partnered with some people in the past yeah. that can help members in regards to energy efficiency for their homes. Do you have programs in that regard? Yeah, that we have uh, some audit, energy audit options that we kind of uh, work with another. We work with our GNT, which is our generation and transmission company. And this this dawned on me. I want to point this out because nobody knows this, I don't think. We pay an electric bill. The Jackson Energy Cooperative is a, the distribution. We do not generate the power. So we pay an electric bill every single month. So the money that you're paying us, the large portion of it that we get goes right on through to pay for the generation. That's something that I definitely wanted to point out because you've got the generation and transmission and then you have the distribution and we're on the distribution end. But you were talking about energy efficiency. It's a huge deal to manage that as best you can because you are ultimately in, in control. I don't know how much everybody knows about their, their panel box, but if you want to save all the money that you, you can save, you can switch off that main breaker and you won't have power, but you will save all the money that you want to save and not spend it on electricity. If you manage it by turning things off or by keeping your house maybe a little warmer than you would love to keep it or, you know, don't open the oven door, for instance, when you're cooking a meal and, and you want to open it to check it, okay, well, then that element's going to kick back on again. And, and I said this many times, if you've got anything that glows orange, to, when power gets turned onto it, it's using a lot of electricity, typically lights and televisions and stuff like that. They're, they're not using that much electricity. And then the other big thing is, you know, how well is your house insulated? If, it, if it's not insulated really well, then you're, you're losing a lot of efficiency right out the doors and windows. How old is your AC unit? Now that they're super efficient, if you have a relatively new one, that can save you a lot of money. And so your members can get a free energy audit. We partner with the GNT. Yeah, they, they will conduct that, that audit and, and help, you know, try to save you some money in that regard. As now a six-year employee of an energy company, do you find yourself walking around the house thinking of ways that you can be more energy efficient, save money, like walk in your kid's room and like tell them to turn stuff off? Is that like ingrained in you when you become an employee or is that just like a person characteristic? I think it's more of a person characteristic. I, I do not do that. Okay. Um, okay. I just... Maybe it's a generational thing. I, you know, I wanted to get to the point in my life where there are a few expenses that everybody's got to pay that hopefully I didn't have to worry that much about because where I grew up, when I grew up, you know, we turned the lights off. We made sure the windows were all shut all the time. You know, we went through the whole energy efficiency situation. Yeah. yeah. Will and I, we, we were definitely not willy nilly spenders. We, uh, <laughs> we, we definitely had to uh, abide by the energy efficient rules oh, yeah. in our household. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even beyond electricity, you know, the point that we've been talking about tonight, that, that co-ops are incredibly important for the communities that they're in. You know, you all do a lot outside of the day, day to day in regards to just being embedded in the communities. I mentioned some programming uh, especially the Roundup program. Are there any other programs or community events that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, we have. Uh, we do a member appreciation day. Most co-ops do that. Uh, it's coming up this month. We have an annual business meeting that you are more than welcome to to attend. 
It's uh, in Jackson County, which is where we're headquartered at. There's another program called the CARES program where if you'll upgrade certain pieces of equipment like insulation or heat pumps, you can get rebates back. Uh, we per- we participate in one of those, but that's another pretty good program because a lot of people will really step up the efficiency of their, their heat pump and, and save themselves some more money and you know we'll give them a rebate for that. How about a couple of uh, quick questions for Mr. Brent Jackson? I'm ready, man. <laughs> well, obviously, this is Appalachia Meets World. So what we, wanted to, what we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite spot in Appalachia or just where you're from? Yeah, I do. My favorite spot really is uh, Grove Marina, Laurel Lake. We just um, we, we went this weekend over Labor Day, and it's, it's one of the great things about living in this area is the lakes, and my favorite one's Laurel Lake. I'm glad to find somebody else that has a fondness for Laurel Lake. You know, around here, everybody talks about Lake Cumberland, but uh, my, I'm still a Laurel Lake guy. Yeah. yeah. Holiday or the Grove, Neil? You know, I, I'm going to go against against Brent. I'm going to go with Holly Bay. I'm going to stick on the on the Laurel County side. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, we'll get you outside of Appalachia. Do you have a, just a favorite vacation spot in general? Um, you're going to like my favorite vacation spot, um, Sanibel Island, Captiva area. Yeah. Have you been there since the hurricane? I have not. It's killed me, man. <laughs> to see that causeway go down was just awful. I wanted to ask you, just in memory, do you have a favorite Jimmy Buffett song? I'm terrible at, like, names of songs. <laughs> Let's sing it. How's it go? When you <laughs> step on a pop top or what is it? What, how, how does that is, that? is that Margaritaville? I don't even My wife would kill me. You got to get better, man. You got to sing. <laughs> and I can't sing, so. We'll say Margaritaville. Okay. <laughs> Thank Step you. on a pop top must be, yeah. must, be, must be Margaritaville. We'll go with that. If you had a fantasy football league, who would be your number one pick? So I've got actually, and they're not all for money. My, I've got one that that is, but I'm in a bunch. My number one pick that I always wanted to get would be anybody is Justin Jefferson, and I've been unable to get him every time. I did get Jamar Chase. Once and I think Austin Eckler and uh, this most recent one that I'm in, the one that's serious. I got the running back that I didn't really know from Atlanta, B. Robinson, B. John. As the only Bengals fan on this podcast, or the <laughs> biggest Bengals fan on this podcast, you're telling me that you would take Justin Jefferson over Jamar Chase? Yeah, because it's been costing some is- money, man. <laughs> in this one, in this one, he yes, throws yes. away his Bengals affinity over one stinking fantasy pick, man. Yeah, look just, at the numbers. Who else does Kirk Cousin throw it to? He throws it to right. Jefferson. He's right. Only times a game. I right. thought he was a man of principles. <laughs> just go up, man. How big a fan that I am! I'm staring right now, and you're gonna die when I tell you this. At a authentic autographed picture of. Evan McPherson. Ah, he, he finally kicks, got when it. He, when he kicks the winning field goal against the Tennessee Titans to send them to Kansas City two years ago. Are Are you going to tell our listeners that you called that one? Oh, I called. Oh, I know. I, I know. told Neil that that was one of the best picks they've ever made, better than Joe Burrow, and I thought that he was going <laughs> to. Like you have lost your mind. He told me 
that McPherson was the best pick <laughs> that the Bengals have ever drafted. Like three years ago, he told me this. Yeah, Bunny McPherson. That's yeah. right, man. But uh, yeah, I was at that game that he kicked that and lost my mind. Yeah, you're, you're probably right, Brent. The turnaround was all because of the kicker. <laughs> yep. I want to ask you this real quick: cornbread or biscuits? Cornbread. Oh, that's quick. That that's changed because of my mother-in-law. She makes amazing cornbread. Uh, so I would have said biscuits until I got married, and then when I started going over there to eat her cornbread, is really really good. Okay. I got to know then what makes hers different that she doesn't put sugar in it, does she? I don't, I don't know. I I don't ask, man. I just (laughs) eat it and I'm thankful. It's soft and and spongy. And one of the cool things she does, I don't know why she does it. It's upside down when you get it because she lays it out of the cast iron skillet upside down when it comes out. So that's how you get it. It's more cakey. People that know a lot about cornbread will talk about that. It's more of a cake cornbread than it is the cornmeal cornbread. Always love to hear the answer to that. Yeah. So in tradition of what we always ask our guests and what's the first thing that comes to mind or rolls off the tongue when you hear the word Appalachia? Big hearts. It's just true. I've been on trips before with people that I didn't know in, in, in the business world. They can't talk enough good things about people from our area. They just it's and it's true. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, another question that we ask everyone, kind of as a follow up to that, and you've spoken about it a little bit, but you know, we kind of ground our podcast on place and perspective. So we wanted to ask you, just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Our area, in particular, in in Appalachia, is has got everything. It's got four seasons. It's got cliffs. It's got rivers and lakes. Flat ground, great grass for horse racing. Like it just really has everything. And I think that's why the people are so good because uh, the land around them and, and the area is, is so beautiful and so diverse that kind of rubs off on you when you grow up here. And so I, I always wanted, when I went to college, I went to UK and I went to Cumberland College for a little while. I brought, I brought my friends here and they love it. Like I, I have a friend I stay in contact with quite a bit and he's originally from Peru and he talks about coming to my Thanksgiving dinner, uh, my big family Thanksgiving dinner, and, and how he just couldn't believe it. And I think that's at the heart of, you know, what Appalachia really is. And that's why I call it home, and I would never want to live anywhere else, really. Yeah, that's a good answer. We, we Neil and I say all the time, we just got to get people here. Yeah. Once they get here, they, they understand. Yep, you are exactly right. Well, Brent, we wanted to thank you for for being on the show. Thank you for letting our listeners know about Jackson Energy Cooperative, what you do, but really cooperatives in general, how important they are, not only to for providing energy, but also to the communities that they're in, uh, embedding themselves in the communities and making those communities better. So thank you for taking the time. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys uh, getting on here and, and having some fun and, and at the same time being able to talk a little bit and, and hopefully help people understand that cooperative is uh, it's a big deal for rural communities and it always always has been. So I really appreciate you guys. And Operation Roundup, uh, what's that website? Uh, just go to jacksonenergy.com and the Member Center tab and you can uh, – Click on that link and, and fill out an application for a grant if, if you're an organization that's interested. And then if you want to round your bill up, give us a call. Um, that number is listed on the website as well. That's probably the easiest way. 
uh, just call us and say, hey, I want to sign up for Operation Roundup and they'll get you taken care of. Thanks so much, Brent. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks. I blew out my flip-flop Stepped on a pop-top Cut my heel, had to cruise on back home But there's booze in the blender And soon it will render That frozen concoction that helps me hang on Wasting away Will, man, Brent Jackson Always a pleasure to, to talk to him But learned a lot of interesting facts today That I didn't know, man Obviously co-ops like we mentioned in the intro, like he talked about are important for power, electric generation and small communities just to make it more affordable in those rural areas. But I was more interested really in the programs that they have, like Operation Roundup, I think is a really cool program that can provide some incentives in regards to the community development in the communities and just the way that co-ops kind of embed themselves in the community become are part of the community because they're owned by the community. But the things that they do, not only Jackson Electric, but other co-ops throughout the country, the creative economic development programs that they have and and what they provide to the communities, it's really just astonishing and, and, and commendable in regards to what they do and the efforts that they provide to those small communities. Yeah, for sure. I mentioned earlier that Jackson Energy Co-op does a lot of things in the community. But when I said that, I was not thinking of the discussion we had with Brent. I was thinking of all the other outreach opportunities that they do. But, you know, just allowing people to to sign up for this Operation Roundup is a was a great discussion and even taught me as someone living right within their footprint of even more things that they do to support the community. So definitely glad to hear about it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we appreciate his time and thank, thank, thank him again for being on the show, providing that information. And if you if you are in a small community and you have a choice, check out your local co-op for power for electrification. Not only do they provide you with power, but when you're making those payments, they're also going to directly help the community. So think about that when you're paying your bills. There's a lot of people that fall on that line, Will. That stretches from New York to L.A. back to New York. So uh, I hope our listeners enjoy this episode and I hope that they learn from it as well, just to, just as I did. What about a business of the week? I, I hope that you have one to highlight. I got a good idea if you don't. Well, I do have one. And let me know if this was your idea. It was mentioned in the episode, you know, we like to give shouts out where we can to really gas up some some of the things that are mentioned in our episode. But the Grove Marina. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Laurel River Lake in Laurel County, Kentucky. We, I know that Brent mentioned it as his favorite spot in Appalachia. It's on Laurel Lake, Daniel Boone National Forest, where the sun shines a little brighter, which is what they say on their website. You know, you can do everything you know it does. from fishing, boating, wildlife viewing, camping, swimming. But one thing they also have is scuba diving. It's actually become a popular destination for scuba divers. Also wanted to mention that Cooley Williams, 
caught the state record for smallmouth bass May 16th of 2000. So it's the home of the smallmouth bass state record, 8.46 pounds. And so it's become a popular destination for smallmouth bass fishermen. That is also the area, what some may not know, the houseboat capital of the world. So you can rent a houseboat, you can rent a boat, you can stay there for the weekend, for the week, for the summer. So check them out. It's grovemarina.com. You have anything to add, Neil? I know that's right in your neck of the woods. I would just mention that it's a great spot. It is sort of like a seasonal business. Uh, we don't mention a ton of seasonal businesses on here, Will, but during the, the winter months, I mean, they're only open certain hours. The lake is a great family-oriented spot. To, to go to so if you're ever in this neck of the woods and you get an opportunity to visit laurel lake it's a very clean lake and the grove marina is one of two marinas that sit on laurel lake i would encourage anybody to check it out yes definitely a little of the area attractions around the grove if you're down that way and want to check out some more stuff cumberland falls state park which we've mentioned before the one of only two moon bows happen at this cumberland falls state park so you can check that out levi jackson wilderness road state park is there too like i mentioned all kinds of camping hiking hunting canoeing can be found in the area so again grovemarina.com Great episode, Will, and uh, what a great business to highlight. I'm a big fan of everything we've mentioned in this show. Oh, we wanted to thank Brent Jackson again. Thank Jackson Electric for allowing him to participate in the show. That stomping on a pop top. <laughs> yeah, glad you mentioned that again. Stomping on a pop top. That's been his favorite songs. But also just, just thank him again for not only being on the show, but for what Jackson Lexter does in the community. Yes, sir. Been a pleasure. And I guess, Neil, since we're at that time, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard you call, wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall, you've seen it all, you've seen it all. Watch the man who rode you Switch from sails to steam And in your belly you hold the treasures That you have ever seen Most of them dream Most of them dream Yes, I am a pirate Two hundred And a plunder I'm an over 40 victim of fate Arriving too late Arriving too late I've done a bit of smuggling And I've run my share of grass I made enough money to buy Miami But I pissed it away so fast Never meant Never met.
Just a few friends Just a few Gonna hit a 